Hey everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil, and today I am joined by Jeff Harry. I'm excited to be able to talk to him all about play. I like to play, so hopefully this is a very playful episode. Anyway, enjoy. your show of choice as a kid what was your like cartoon oh, of choice? i had a few um gummy bears gummy bears they're the gummy bears oh my goodness no, the reason why is it like it was about drugs <laughs> <laughs> it was a bunch of bears who needed power and energy whenever they were in trouble they would drink this gummy berry juice and oh then get out of it and i was like why do they just drink the gummy berry juice all the time? <laughs> yeah. There doesn't seem to be a finite experience of it. They run out, but they always make some more. They always make some more. They're like, so oh, gummy oh, bears was so good. I mean, I love G.I. Joe, even though it was super racist. Um, and, uh, <laughs> like, we're going to have this guy named Alpine. He's a black dude, and he skis. And I'm like... Well, first of all, they're not like black skiers, but I love that you're doing it. Yeah. Then they showed Sidekick, and it was this Asian guy that just wore nothing, like no shirt. Mm-hmm. And he would meet Alpine in the snow, and you'd be like, dude, that dude needs a shirt. Like, he's going to die of hypothermia. Yeah. Um, I also loved Munchie Cheese. I don't know if you've ever seen Munchie Cheese. Well, I'll send you this afterwards. It was just these, like, weird-looking monkeys that were all about happiness and then there were these other people that would steal happiness away from them i think (laughs) i think a show that you would have loved it's not in the states a show that i watched when i was a kid it was the greatest show it was called fun house it's from the eight it was in the 80s the the host had an incredible mullet the premise of it i really wished i wanted i still want to be on that show even though it hasn't been shown for like 20 years but it was essentially an obstacle course for kids. It had a gunge, a plasma, oh, like, slime. like a slime. Yeah, they were called gunge. I don't know. It just was everything I wanted to do when I was a kid. Anyway, ah, fun house, 80s kids shows. It reminds me of Double Dare. Did you know Double Dare? No, but I... Okay, so we had Double Dare where you would run a course and you would get slimed on whenever you got it wrong. And then like some of the course you would find these tickets, you know, hidden in random obstacles. But one of them was a nose and you had to pick the nose to find the ticket. Let's delve into talking about play. Yeah, let's get into it. Jeff, thank you for being here on the podcast. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Vertical playpen being a challenge course, ropes course element, so it works well for our challenge course folks. But the play part for me is so crucial. Yeah, when we work with companies, Gary Ware and I, you know, people see play as frivolous. They see it as like a joke. They see it as like not necessary. And then I always like to come back to them and be like, how did Google start? How did Amazon start? Like, those are all experiments, right? 
And I love saying um, Stephen Johnson's quote, the future is where people are having the most fun, right? And it's just like, what were the organizations that were thriving in 2020? The ones that were playing TikTok, Clubhouse, Hulu, Disney Plus, Netflix, like all adapting, all being resilient, all taking risks, right? You know, but if you're not playing, if you're not playing in the post-pandemic, man, you're going to be like the next blockbuster in the U.S. You're going to be done. You're going to be obsolete. So just giving you like background on like me. Do you remember the movie Big with Tom Hanks? Oh, yeah. So I saw that movie when I was a kid and he was dancing on a piano. Then he got offered a job to play with toys. And I was like, wait, that's a job? So I literally went to FBO Schwartz, started dancing on a piano. No old man offered me a job. Very disappointed. So I went home and started writing toy companies at seven, at seven, eight years old. And I just kept writing them. And I didn't stop. And eventually one of them wrote me back and told me to go into mechanical engineering. I really should not have listened to him, but whatever. And I kept writing them um, until I got in the toy industry. And I don't know if you've ever gotten exactly what you've wanted and then been so disappointed when you get there. (laughs) But it was like, it was not fun being in the toy industry. It was like no play, no fun, no high fives, no kids. Like where was all the joy, right? It was like, I was sitting in this cubicle with padded walls and I was like, why are these walls padded? Like we might as well have been selling like pillows or socks. Like (laughs) it really didn't matter what we were selling, right? So then I remember leaving New York, coming to the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, not having my quarter life crisis, you know, then finding a job on Craigslist, which is a super shady website in the U.S. if you don't know about it. Um, And uh, I found a job that was teaching kids engineering with Lego, basically playing for a living, paying $150 a week, like a joke of a job. But they were playing, and I was like, oh, dude, I'm going to make this a thing. And and me and a bunch of other nerdy people actually made it a thing, and we grew it from, like, seven people to, like, 400 people, and it became, like, the largest Lego-inspired STEM organization, like, in the U.S., and we did it all by playing. Like, we had no freaking clue what we were doing, no business plan. We picked cities we thought were fun. We picked people that we thought were fun. We experimented and failed all the time. I think we had an invoice system that was like, like someone like wrote on crayon at the beginning. It was that much of a joke, right? And then finally, you know, I think seven or eight years in, we got the attention of Silicon Valley, you know, Facebook, Google, Adobe. And they were like, hey, do you do team building events? Like, of course we do. No, we didn't. We just, we just made it up. So we just ended up doing it. I ended up doing it for a decade with the top tech companies. And what I realized that these, the best companies in the world, the ones that were always in Fortune 500 magazine is favorite companies to work for. They spoke about disruption. They spoke about risk-taking. They spoke about thinking outside the box and innovation. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. So I created Rediscover Your Play to create psychologically safe workspaces so people could take risks, so people could have hard conversations, so they could actually feel like they could be their authentic authentic self, mm-hmm. not the faux authentic self. And I used positive psychology and play to do it.
what do you think is the barrier that prevents people from realizing that it's something that they can always do? Why do they have to bring us in? Why are they unwilling to sometimes immerse themselves into a full experience that could be long-term? What? So, so what's the question? Why don't they do it now? Yeah, why don't they do it? Why do they only say like, oh, it was fun while we did it. I wish we could do it more. But why don't they do it more? Because they believe the myth that they have to be adults. <laughs> they believe this BS that there's a way they're supposed to show up at work. You know, I believe people, I say it all the time. I believe people are playing all the time. Mm-hmm. What they're playing though, <laughs> is they're playing a role of like, I'm a senior manager. I know what I'm talking about. I'm important. And they, they, no one knows, like nobody knows what they're doing. No one wants to admit it. So everyone's all trying to pretend that they are, you know, have all their stuff together when no one has their stuff together. Mm -hmm. So we're not willing to be honest. Right. And that, and that stems from us, you know, you know, from, well, I say this all the time, like it stems from all of the barraging of you're not supposed to be a kid anymore, like Mm. uh, propaganda. And I always tell people when people are like, well, why don't adults play um, enough? And I go 148,000 no's like right there. By the time you reach the age of 18, you've heard the word one, uh, no, 148,000 times. And then on top of that, then your parents and all adults are shooting on you all the time. You should do that. You mm-hmm. should do this. You should major in this. You should become a doctor when you grow up. And you're like, I'm six. Why are you telling me what I should do right now when I'm six? You know, so it's shooting. And then you go to school where you're told to raise your hand and you got to sit in a seat. And, you know, you, you're just like told to be an automaton. And then you get to your like teen years and you, and all, all the information that is being told to you is like, you're not enough. You suck. You should be something else. You should buy this product. It'll make you better. Just keep doing stuff on Amazon and then, you know, and be normal. The mm-hmm. most important thing is be normal. Don't be your unique, weird, strange, nerdy self. Don't ever be that. Because if you're that, then you're going to get ostracized, Mm -hmm. you know? So then we want to belong because like that's, you know, part of the positive psychology part of like, I just want to belong. So you pretend to play roles thinking that that is what's going to gain you acceptance only to like later on, as you get older, realize like, man, for like 20 years, I was trying to pretend to be someone that I wasn't. So we have to get out of that mode. But when you've been trying to pretend to be a role for so long, and then you go into a play workshop and they're like, Hey, be yourself. They don't believe you. No. They don't believe you that they can actually be themselves. And, and I even remember one HR person saying, why don't you ask your staff what the culture is of the organization? All of the unsaid rules, right? Mm-hmm. Because she believes the culture is the worst behavior tolerated. And it's just like, oh, that's interesting. That actually makes sense. Because there's a lot of times when someone comes into an organization, they're like, oh, is this how things are done? And you're like, you show them your values and you do all these things and you do an orientation. And then all of a sudden you see Chad walking around just being rude to everybody and being like, oh, does Chad follow the values? Oh, he doesn't? Okay, well, I guess we all have to, but not Chad. Okay, that's what... That's the culture. Okay. Okay. I was in, I was leading a, an emotions workshop recently and someone in the group mentioned this phrase and I really liked it a lot. Um, they talked about 
it, it, this was in reference to emotions, but I think it ties into play that there are socially aspirational emotions and they're socially non-aspirational emotions. And it's not like emotions being bad or good, but it's what is aspirational socially. Like you can be happy and all the time and that's a well, everyone likes the happy but if you represent sadness, then that's no longer aspirational. Yes, and I think right. that the play is also that. Seriousness in the workplace is aspirational. The, the thing that's not aspirational is playing. Right. And so when you're, like you said, if you're told no over and over and over and over again, are you ever going to go into the hallway with your wheelie chair and spin down the hallway? And also, it, yeah. you said a really important point too. It's just like, you, what emotions are actually allowed at work? Can you actually be sad? Can you actually be angry? Can you actually be fearful? Can you actually share that vulnerably? You know, I saw a lot of people when I was working with a lot of clients, you know, during this remote time mm -hmm. where like their managers weren't telling them what was going on financially with the organization. Like it got even quieter. Mm -hmm. So that just allowed for more assumptions for people to be like, Oh, should I be here? Should I not be here? So like, that's not creating psychological safety. So, you know, we really have to ask, and I challenge managers all the time of this, of like, I don't care what your words are. Like, what are your actions actually saying to your staff? Like, do you actually, I say this to managers all the time. Do you know what your staff's flow work is? And they're like, what? Like, what's this, what's the work they love to do most? I don't know. Go find that out. <laughs> like that's their flow work. If you can actually have them ask them, what's the work that they love to do most? The work where they forget about time, their red thread work, their zone of genius work. Like what is that? And you actually double down on helping them do that type of work. Productivity levels go skyrocket, right? A boost in morale. And the thing that's crazy about that too is also you realize that they now, your staff now is like, oh man, this person actually cares about me. And that is just rare, I guess, in this pre-pandemic world. And I'm really hoping it won't be in the post-pandemic world because like managers have to bring a certain level of like shared humanity back to work. Mm -hmm. And when you're actually being like, oh, you love talking to people, you love talking to clients, what percentage of time do you currently do that work? 10% of your time, that's it? How can we increase that to 20 or 30%? Because that's going to bring us more revenue. That's going to make you more fulfilled and happy at your job. And like overall, it's just going to help the organization out. So why don't we double down on what you're really good at? That's what positive psychology talks a lot about. Instead of us always focusing on what's wrong with you. And let's yeah. fix that. Uh, I think there's there are a lot of, you know, across the world, there are a lot of traditions. There are a lot of things that have been grandfathered in behaviors that we do you know and i can i can say this from myself as an english person coming to the states um when my daughter was born i was shocked at the maternity leave in this country and the lack of paternity leave and the restricted maternity leave i would bring it up and people would say yeah it was like that when i was when i was having a kid and talking to older people and i'm like yeah but that's not a that, are you hearing that's that as, as an excuse of like, yeah, oh, insane. it's exactly. almost like I find it's almost like colleges, um, sororities, uh, all that kind of stuff. Where, not sororities. What's the what the male version oh, of fraternity? Yes. Where people will get hazed and they'll know it's bad. But then the two years later, they'll be like, well, I guess I'm going to inflict some pain on them. And you're like, yep. because it happened yep. to me. And yep. I worry about when we're talking about trying to infuse play into a system that has been such a way for so long 
what actionable steps have, have you found to be successful in truly integrating play into the workplace? So first, I don't force fun. I really don't. I hate forced yeah. fun. Like, spe- I, I did forced fun. I did team building for like 10 years, right? Yep. And when Chad hates Samantha, you know, you put them in a room together and they have to escape that room? No, no, <laughs> they don't. I don't care if they escape the room. They still hate each other. So so a lot of this is about just first building psychological safety. It's It's first being like, hey, when was the last time you had a difficult conversation? You know, what does that even look like? Let's practice having difficult conversations. You know, I, you know, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but our football here, we play on Sundays, but people, but the team practices all week for Sunday, right? At work, no practice. We get no practice on difficult conversations, no practice on mediating, no practice on how to be a manager. Oh my gosh, how many horrible managers do you know got promoted because they did the last job well and then they never were trained or never got practice on doing the new job? And you're just like, so you just have this toxicity that's just been built and you have to be like, yo, let's address what's going on all of the elephants in the room because it's not just one and let's have those conversations first before we play or we just don't play because you can't play when you're in anxiety ridden state you can't play when you're fearful you can't play when you you feel you might get fired so then me rolling in and being like hey everybody let's actually pull out some lego you know, <laughs> and let's do some jumping jacks and high fives, maybe some trust falls, and then everything's going to be all good. And it's funny what you said earlier, because companies really do want that quick fix, man. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, can you do something? Listen, we, we've built 10 years of animosity and distrust <laughs> and toxicity and toxic masculinity. Do you have a workshop for just an hour, though? And our budget's $3, you know, do you have something that can fix all that? <laughs> like, like the amount of pressure they put on, you know? Um, and I found even with the workshops, when I run, a lot of times the play is revealing. I remember one writes running one workshop where, where uh, this was, you know, my previous job and, you know, we're all, they're all like building with Lego. And then at one point, the, the, the leader, the manager or whatever, the CEO of that, that team was like, everyone stop what you're doing. And we're at a winery. Okay. So they're already, they're already <laughs> drinking a little bit. And he's like, everyone stop, stop what you're doing. Everyone move back. I got this. And he just built by himself while 20 of his team just sat and drank wine and just were like, look at him like, uh-huh, okay. And I was like, that is your problem. That is That encompasses your whole, the reason why your team can't get stuff done. Just that. And when you, and when you ask the guy afterwards, why did you do that? So why, why, did you, why, why did you take it over? And he goes, oh, because I, you know, I have a lot of skill in Lego. So I felt like I should take it over. I was like, oh my goodness. So like, I like the phrase skill revealing plays, not going to always be the fix. Sometimes it just reveals what we've, what some people have just not been addressing. The thing I tell, tell people all the time when we're running our, how to deal with toxicity workshop or how to deal with difficult conversations. I'm like, yo, this is a six month year, two year process where like, we're going to run this workshop and you all practice and then feel like you can do it. And then you're going to go back out in the real world and be like, oh, I don't know if I can do it or not. Right. 
And then you're going to have to practice. And then we're going to come back and be like, Hey, did you do it? All right. We got to go back out and do it again. And, and people don't like that. <laughs> they build themselves up for failure. And I'm not even talking about like the team building organizations. I'm talking about the companies, you know, where it's just like, you, you, you know what the problem is already. And you're trying to bring other people in to solve it. But really what you're bringing us in to do is to simply help you remove the scab and just be like, do you want to treat this or not? Like, do we really want to do this? Because if we really want to do this, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful at times, but you'll be better for it if you're willing to get through the pain. And I think a lot of organizations will rather just be quiet and not, and not address the issue. And I say this all the time when I'm doing my workshop with, with Gary Ware is like, Toxicity in the workplace in the U.S. costs companies, this is 2019, this is before the pandemic, right? It cost companies, Fortune 500 companies, just in the last five years, $223 billion. Like the amount of turn, that's turnover due to toxicity at work. And these are only Fortune 500 companies that were willing to admit so there are a lot of companies that did want to admit, and this doesn't even represent all the companies that are not Fortune 500 companies. So it's like, yikes, man. The amount of companies that are willing to just deal with someone just being horrible in the workplace and getting everyone else to quit or not addressing this difficult conversation you should have had five years ago, you know, and that's just destroying your organization slowly. It's slowly destroying your organization. And, and what was the quote I heard about burnout? I forgot who said it, um, but it was like, the quote was something along the lines of what burnout is, is hundreds, if not thousands of small betrayals of purpose. Oof. And that's all it is, man. It's, it's, it's not big things that happen. It's you going to work and then all of a sudden you seeing Chad being super rude to someone and not being reprimanded or Chad getting a bonus, even yes. though he's the meanest yep. person in the, in the company. And you're just like, what's happening? And each time you get that betrayal of purpose, you start wondering like, should I be here anymore? I don't know if I want to be here anymore. What we're discussing and the introduction of the trying to incorporate a more playful experience in the workforce or anything that we're ever doing is also so dramatically, especially in this country, but also across the world, is tied into mental health. People forget America's like less than 300 years old. So we're super young. So that's why we're so insecure. And a lot of times they're constantly saying, we're number one, we're number one. And people are like, what, what? What competition are you in? Because I don't understand how you're number one. But, you know, we, as my friend Angie Cole always says, we in America, more than anyone else, I think, attach our self-worth to our productivity. Mm. Like we are constantly being like, so when, when quarantine happened, oh my gosh, the amount of people that just had a mental breakdown because they were like, what am I supposed to do? I don't have a job or I have a job, but we're not productive anymore. You know, and they, and they were struggling. And we do so, stuff so backwards, especially in, Amer in corporate America, <clears throat> where 
I think our workday now has increased to 8.8 hours in America, right? And what you said earlier about how our vacation is two weeks or less. And then, by the way, we don't even take vacation because we constantly in America want to be busy. Oh, I'm so busy. We always have this in our work. Oh, I'm so busy. Oh, you're busy? Oh, you can't imagine how, how busy I am. And it's like a, it's a busy competition, you know. But when, but studies have found recently that, you know, even with the eight-hour workday, Studies have found that you can only focus for two hours and 51 minutes of an eight-hour workday. What are we doing for 5.8 hours of the day? Stupid meetings, dumb emails, making reports, telling people how much work we're doing. So, like, we're doing work on talking about work. And then then I recently was reading this book called BS Jobs, the amount of jobs that if they were removed tomorrow would not matter to the organization is significant is so significant amount of middle manager jobs right amount of marketing jobs sales just like bs jobs man so like so in america we're just super busy we're just constantly making ourselves busy and um I think it was Keynes, this U.S. economist from like the 30s, said by the time we reach the 1970s, we will have a 20 to 25-hour workday. That's what was expected. But in America, because of capitalism and just us selling ourselves, we persuaded ourselves that we had to work so much in order to make more money, in order to work so much to make more money, to buy more things. And we're just in this constant cycle of never being able to relax, never addressing our, you know, our mental health and never going on vacation. Like if you gave an American Australia amount of weeks of vacation, four to five weeks, we wouldn't know what to do with it. We would not, we would be back in the office after a week. That's how addicted we are to believing that our self-worth is attached to our productivity. I'm really hoping post pandemic, especially here is like that there's a certain recognition of shared humanity. There's a certain recognition of maternity and paternity leave. There's a certain recognition of what, what was just done. I think in Australia or New Zealand where they have, they have um, leave if you have a miscarriage because that is a death in the family. Like, yo, like let's wake up to this because I'm sorry, Gen Zers are not going to tolerate that pre pandemic you got to overwork, you know, they'll leave a job like that. And this is what I keep telling employers that are like, I can't wait to get back to normal. And I'm like, normal's not coming back, dude. Mm -hmm. And if you are not showing up where you understand your staff's zone of genius, where you understand your staff's languages of appreciation, I say that all the time. Do you know how, do you know how your staff likes to, uh, you know, to be given like gifts and stuff like that, like words of affirmation. Are you recognizing them so they can get promoted to other jobs? Are you doing acts of service? Are you actually being like, Hey, go home early. I'll take your shift so that, you know, you can be with your family. Are you for gifts like bonuses? A lot of people don't realize this, but you can take that same bonus that they get for the entire year, spread it out over the entire year. Instead of just giving it out during Christmas, people are more likely to be more productive because of that, because you're recognizing them each time they do something. Like if you're not doing these things, man, if you're not quality of time, like not spending time with your staff and taking them out to lunch or happy hour after post pandemic, they're just going to bounce because they, they want to be treated like human beings and not like robots anymore. Ask your staff, how many people are doing an actual 
full eight hours. Nobody's doing eight hours. Nobody. And if you are, then you're, you know, and you're doing it, you're, you're manic. You're, something's wrong with you. Because like, <laughs> no one is actually doing focused work. Well, you know, well, no, I'm, I'm doing work. No, you're on Facebook right now. No, I'm doing work. No, you're responding to some stupid email of being like, did you get the email? Yeah, I got the email. How many emails are you sending of that? Okay, like that's not real work. You can only do three to four hours of deep work. So if your staff can only do that much, what work do you want them to do? You know, when I was a kid, I'd be like, why do people go to bars? You just, you just sit in the bar and you just talk. I was like, that just didn't make sense to me. I was just like, is there any play in there? Is there, there's like a basketball hoop or shuffleboard or something. I was just like, you're just talking the whole time. I just don't understand what is happening. So I still feel that at work when, you know, when you're in an office with people and you're like, it's so boring. Adults are so boring. And it's not that adults are boring. It's that we pretend to be normal when we're all super weird and strange. <laughs> and I wish we just allowed ourselves to show more than weird nerdiness. That was the organizations I created where we would actually allow people to be weird and nerdy. And at first, especially the first year, they would not trust us. They'd be like, yeah, my last company told me I could be authentic. And the amount of times people use a BS word authentic, you can be authentic mm -hmm. here. And I was just like, no, be your nerdy self. And we had to like do it through our own actions to show people like, yo, you can actually be you. We hired you for you, for the weirdness within you. And I think a lot of organizations are constantly telling people like, you need to be like all the other dude bros at this frat, you know, and you have to assimilate. And that is how you're going to move up in the world which is like then it no wonder it's so exhausting going to work because you have to pretend to be someone else the entire time. There was uh, someone who said, and this was talking about kids going into a school, but it's completely related to adults going into a workplace, that when the kids go into school, they leave a huge portion of themselves at the door before they step in because they don't want to admit certain things because they're going to get bullied, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it completely in just in a frame of different of like uh, what we were saying, like social aspirational stuff, social aspirational things is essentially bullying for adults yeah. where you're told you have to be this and you can't be any of these. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's like, that's where the connection is. That's where the magic of play is. It's in like, we constantly want to feel connected. We constantly want to be seen. We want to be heard and we want to be loved. Right. Mm -hmm. But how can someone do that? If you're not allowing yourself to show your weird nerdiness and how can you do that? Especially at work, if work is telling you not to be that. So it's just like, man, again, like what is wrong with us? We know the solutions. Mm -hmm. We know the solution is in, is, I mean, I talk a lot about this, right? Play is the opposite of perfection. Perfection is rooted in shame, ego, scared of failing. Play is rooted in experimentation, curiosity, all these things. So we know that we thrive when we're in the play, experiment, curiosity mode. Yet we constantly are still choosing to go in the perfection, ego, shame route. And I'm just like, please let us learn our lesson. Please. I, 
I love to teach my facilitators that I'm teaching that you want to try to be childlike, not childish, because yeah. I think those term those differences is really important because I think people yeah. see play as childish, but play I think is childlike, and right. so I think that that's that's important. No one want, no company wants to talk about play, but when I study positive psychology and you get into flow and you're like flow when you're at flow when you're doing your flow work five times more productive. Okay. When you're doing your flow work, staff is 10 or what I think like two, two to three times more likely to stay at your company, you know? So, so, and that is when that is the work we want our staff to do. Mm -hmm. You know, when I always mention the Google 20% program or the 20% rule about how they gave their staff a fifth of their time to pursue whatever was curious to them, as long as it helped Google, what came from the 20% program following their foe, following their play, AdSense, which pays the bills, Gmail, which everyone uses, Google Meet, which many people use. Like, yo, foundations of Google were built off of play and curiosity. So the more you're able to allow your staff to do your flow work, the more likely your company's going to be around in a decade. That's what I tell them got to keep throwing in other information from other areas and use that almost as a cover for the play to be able to get it in the door. I mean, rarely it's like, I refer to it almost like the Trojan horse. (laughs) The play is the medium, but like we're addressing toxicity. We're addressing the fact that you're, you can't deal with your inner critic. We're addressing the fact that you haven't had a difficult conversation with that person in four years. (laughs) Like, you know, but we're going to use play to do it. If people were interested and they've been listening to this and going, wow, I really want to connect with Jeff Moore. How can they do it? Simply go to rediscover your play. You can click on the let's play button where I have a bunch of play experiments. You can actually do at work. And then you can hop on a phone call with me and we can figure out how to bring more play to your workplace so that people can actually feel seen, heard, and create an actual psychologically safe workplace that people want to come to. Thank you for all that you're doing in the world of play because I feel like it's so crucial. We talked about the need for it. I think what you're doing is massively important and I really hope that in, let's say, four, five, six years from now, we don't have to argue these points anymore. We're just talking about how awesome we're doing at it. (laughs) We're fighting the good fight, Phil. Stay in it. Thanks so much, Phil. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting Article Classic, guys! <laughs> <laughs>